My name is Pastor Paul Olson. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 15. It's my pleasure today to lead us through what is one of, I think, one of Jesus' most important teachings on rest. And Jesus is going to show us how, how we are to rest in Him. We continue our series on rest. Um, Pastor Stephanie and Pastor Joel, over the last two weeks, have looked at the creation of rest and the command of rest. We've come away with these couple phrases that I think are really profound and important. In a restless world, we are made to rest with God, and we are to work out our rest, work out of our rest, not work, uh, not rest from work. Let me say that again. We are to work out of our rest, not rest from work. If you've heard these messages uh, already, um, wonderful. If you've not, go back and visit uh, our website uh, to hear these timely, challenging uh, messages. Uh, we're going to turn to the New Testament today. We've been in kind of the Old Testament. We're going to turn to the New Testament. Jesus, the true vine, shows us what rest is look like, uh, what rest looks like in John chapter 15. So do get out your Bibles. We're going to read the first 11 verses here in uh, just a second. Okay, so, but first, before we get to that, uh, recently I had a, an amazing opportunity to attend a, a wedding of one of our Mill City, City couples in Pepin, Wisconsin, and uh, I heard it was pronounced Pepin, Pepin, Wisconsin, because there was a French explorer who named it Pepin, so I went to Pepin, <laughs> and I, it was amazing, but I was surprised that when I got there, what I saw was not France, but Italy. <laughs> Italy, look, this place is amazing. Um, Italy, how did Wisconsin become Italy? Uh, cheese plus beer, maybe a little sausage thrown in there, becomes Italy. Nah, nah, nah not so much. Uh, beer plus cheese equals Pinot Grigio. No, uh, that's my dad joke for the day, thank you very much. <laughs> Adobe can dance, I can... Uh, tell dad, dad jokes. That's my skill. Uh, <laughs> it was such a delightful experience, and I, I took some video here that will be playing as I describe this experience on this beautiful vineyard in uh, Pepin, Wisconsin. What is clear is that a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of skill, and even technology have gone into making Italy out of Wisconsin. Over 100 vineyards now exist in Wisconsin, and over 100,000 vines exist in the state. What I learned is that for nearly 200 years, growers in Wisconsin and other parts of America have taken cuttings and transplanted those cuttings and made hybrids of some of the oldest vines in the world, even vine types that date back to six or 7,000 years ago. That's like Noah. That's like Noah territory in the Old Testament. So no, they've not turned cheese and beer into wine. Maybe Wisconsin will become the cheese and wine state uh, soon. They're doing a great job. Somebody likes my dad jokes here today. <laughs> we know that growing grapes, we see that growing grapes. Maybe I, I, we're going to look at how growing grapes to make wine is really tough work. So here's the challenge. Jesus in this scripture is going to invite us into his vineyard. He's actually going to make us part of the process. So if that's hard work, how do we find rest? And here's the challenge. How does the challenge of being Jesus' disciples 
actually become restful? That's the question. Let me talk about Jesus. For the final three to four years of his life, Jesus walked everywhere around Galilee, Judea, and Samaria. He preached to large crowds. He made home visits. He healed people. He taught in public and in private, always visiting with men and women along the side of the road. As people heard about him, crowds started showing up. He fed 3,000 once. He fed 5,000 on another occasion. Sounds like just a little bit of work, right? People taking roofs off of houses just to lower their friend before Jesus. The crowds pressing in on Jesus. He escapes on a boat. And that's one of the only times we actually see Jesus resting is in a boat on, on the, the, the bow of the boat, right? And then a storm comes. <laughs> and his disciples wake him up. When was Jesus even resting? Now, we haven't even talked about this. At the same time as all this is going on, Jesus is being attacked by religious leaders. He's being arrested. He was stripped of his clothes. He was tortured, nailed to a cross. He died. He was buried. And he rose rose again from the dead. This Jesus wants us to follow him. No, he calls us to follow him. He beckons us to follow him. He wants us to abide with him, remain with him. Abide, rest, you know, chill with this Jesus. This is a challenge. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Even though following Jesus can be difficult, the rest we find in Jesus is more than enough, more than enough if we learn to abide in him. Learning to abide in Jesus is the most important thing we can do as a follower. Let's pick up our Bibles. John 15, there's 11 verses, so kind of settle in. Maybe, like we sang earlier, take a deep breath. Everybody, take a deep breath. Let's read from God's Word. Jesus, these are red letters, Jesus' words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. Let us pray. Lord, we pray as you, we abide here in this word, your words, 
you would transform us, renew us, restore us. Teach us, Lord, what it means to rest in you, we pray. Amen. Jesus lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. I think most of us know that. He was a rabbi. He was, he was a teacher of the law. He, he understood the law. He memorized many portions of Scripture, especially the Psalms. Our Scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, where Jesus famously turned water into wine at a, at a wedding. And he uses this very common practice of winemaking, of vineyards that would have surrounded him there in ancient uh, Israel to help us understand some very important things about being his disciple. This teacher, Jesus, knew how to communicate to his audience. And so we as the modern audience, 2,000 years past, we need to do a little bit of work to understand what is this vineyard thing all about. And luckily, fortunately, thankfully, Jesus, who is grounded in this scripture, would have known the scriptures and he draws many of his own allusions and analogies from Scripture itself. So what Jesus is saying here isn't necessarily a new thing, but he's going to improve on it. Here in chapter 15, he calls himself the true vine. As the branches of that vine remain and abide in him, the process begins of making good fruit. The other main character in this little passage here is the father gardener. Jesus is the vine, the father gardener is there planting the vine. He has planted the true vine in the vineyard. Rabbi Jesus understood that God, the great gardener, had once planted vines before. One of Jesus' favorite books of the Hebrew Bible was Isaiah, from Isaiah the prophet. These words of the prophet had been written down. In fact, there's a song that Isaiah sings about God's vineyard, the one that he had made. Isaiah lamented that the Jewish kings and priests had forsaken God's law and acted unjustly and unrighteously in the land. And so here's what Isaiah teaches us about a vineyard. So you can flip backwards here to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, he says this, or he sings this actually. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside he dug it up, he cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and he cut out a wine press as well. Okay, this is the hard work of creating a vineyard. God, the true vineyard maker, the father gardener, went through the laborious process of clearing stones, building walls, making towers. And there you see on the screen a, a, a vineyard in modern-day Bethlehem. You see the stones that are piled up. Those didn't get there by themselves. They were taken out of the ground and piled one by one. Dirt dug into the ground, square yard by square yard, moved and the soil was dug into, this fertile ground dug into so that the vines that were placed there could grow and flourish. Watchtowers were built to protect the vineyard, to oversee the vineyard, and places, vats, where, where the wine would be finely pressed and processed were built as well. This was very hard work. The gardener does then, after planting that vine, for three years, heavy pruning on the vine. So even it might bear fruit, 
the, the gardener comes along and prunes off even the fruit that is born because that gardener wants all the energy of that vine to go down into the earth to create deep roots. And as those deep roots are being created, a network of nutrient-gathering roots begins to develop. The vine becomes stronger and thicker and harder. A storm would come or a flood would come or bad weather, cold weather would come and it would not affect that vine. The gardener does this heavy pruning for at least three years and after three years, the gardener shows up. The gardener wants to see if there is good fruit. What does Isaiah say? Then he, the vine gardener, looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So then Isaiah turns to the audience. Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me, God, and the vineyard. And this is God's question. This is Isaiah's question speaking for God. God's question, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have already done for it? I did everything to see that a good crop would yield from this vineyard, but it yielded bad fruit. Fast forward more than 600 years later, Jesus picks this up. He says, the father gardener is back on the scene. The father gardener has planted a true vine in the ground. The father gardener has been busy, but now he's busy at work through me, the true vine. The father gardener wants to see good fruit. Isaiah's picture of the vineyard gone wrong is a picture of wild vines, a wild vineyard, a vineyard gone wild, a people gone wild. And what was that wildness like? It was injustice. It was corruption. It was bribery. It was denying justice to innocent people, preying upon people who were innocent, poor, and defenseless. That's what Isaiah was complaining about. And the vineyard analogy applies to these leaders and these people who had grown like wild vines. And the fruit was bad. Jesus is saying to his disciples here in John 15, now come back to John 15 here with me, Father Gardener is back. This time he's planted the true vine. The true vine is me. The choice vine planted in the vineyard is the controlling factor. It brings the DNA like we looked at from in uh, Wisconsin, you could have vine species from all over the world hybridized for our climate to produce choice wine. Now, the choice vine was planted in the vineyard. The DNA will bring about the possibility of useful grapes, delicious, wonderful grapes. And the branches of that vine who stay attached to the vine are in a state of abiding and resting the branches of that vine will receive the nutrients and instruction from the true vine, produce the fruit of the true vine based on what has been given from below. Now we know what it takes a little bit to build a vineyard. We can understand what Jesus is starting to communicate here, right? We can begin to see now our role in it. Our, we as disciples, those who claim to believe and follow Jesus. First, Jesus says this. 
you must abide. You must remain in me, in me. Jesus is the vine, he says, and we are the branches. Now, Jesus is identifying you, me. We are the branches of the true vine. This is where it happens. This is where the good stuff happens. This is where the fruit comes about. This is what we, when we saw that video earlier, we I mean, saw the grapes there. This is where the amazing stuff happens. Yes, you must remain in me, otherwise there will be no fruit. Jesus doesn't see himself separate from us as his disciples, as imperfect as we are. He is fully attaching himself to us, and we are fully attaching ourselves to him, even though we have a tendency to grow wild sometimes. Resting in him is first understanding ourselves as a part of him. Jesus has invited us to become a part of him, the true vine. Secondly, the father gardener cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit. This could be a painful but necessary process. The father prunes things in our lives, the branches in our lives. See there on the left side is the unpruned and on the right is the pruned. But he prunes things in our lives, branches that do not bear fruit. There will be no wild vines in God's garden. He makes us clean, Jesus says, by the way of his words. He's already made us clean by the way of his word. So his word comes to us, cleans us, shapes us, directs us, prunes us. Jesus is teaching that resting in him means that we submit ourselves to Father Gardner's pruning. Uh, Father Richard Rohr says, yes, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) It will make you miserable. Pruning is a miserable process. And when, when when we carry around dead branches... It just sticks out, right? When we carry dead branches, we don't bear fruit. But Jesus leaves in this analogy yet another scenario. The gardener prunes even the branches that bear fruit. What? I thought the fruit was stuff. What is? But Jesus even prunes the branches that bear fruit. I, I read this scripture again for the 50th time maybe for the first time this last month, because I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that Jesus goes about even going after people who are fruitful, (laughs) pruning them too. Over the last three years, our our church, the Elam Church, becoming Mill City Church, has felt like a pruning for many of us, from both churches, and for me in particular, I needed this word. Because the fruit that God has brought out of these two churches it's been amazing but God has brought us through this time of pruning he's brought me through this time of pruning where I know I look back and I see the fruit of the work that is done in the church and the work that is done through the teaching and the preaching and the ministry and the pastoring and the shepherding and I say wow Lord but you're pruning me again so Jesus is saying, yeah, cut off the dead stuff, but even the stuff that's alive, he's not satisfied with that. Jesus is teaching that resting and abiding and remaining in him means that bearing fruit is a progressive process and one of constant growth. Constant growth. This is what it means to abide. Now, 
Knowing Jesus is not about our good works. It's not about even the fruit that we, we, we bear. He wants us. He wants all of us. He wants all of our branches. He wants the dead ones so he can get rid of those. And he even wants the ones that bear fruit and say, come here, I can even, I can even make that better. Take a moment. Breathe. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're a part of him. He does not abandon you. He's not ashamed of you. He invites you. He accepts you. He loves you. You don't need to go anywhere. That's the rest. Just rest in him today. Know that you are loved. He is the source and the root of your life. But also, if you are a disciple of Jesus, submit yourself to the Father Gardener's pruning. You can't live as a wild vine who does their own thing. And if you are a disciple of Jesus whose good fruit is awesome, I'm sure it's awesome. God is bearing fruit through you in an amazing way. There's always room to grow. And God is not done with you. What is this all about, this abiding? Jesus is inviting us into a whole new existence, a whole new way of thinking about it. He calls it the kingdom of God. And that is the word, there's, it's all encapsulated by this one word in Greek, meno, abide, remain. Meno, this word has a range of possible meanings. Let me give you some more. To remain or to stay, to lodge with, to wait for, to keep on, to continue to exist, to persist, to reside, to tarry, to stand fast, to stand firm in battle. Abiding is active rest. Abiding is active rest. Jesus says, remain in me, and I also will remain, abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. Hearing his word, we are pruned and cleaned. We are set free, though it is painful sometimes. Bearing good fruit that leads to a right relationship with God and others is your purpose. You can't use a vine branch to build a house. You can't use a vine branch to build a house or make a nice sculpture. It only, a branch, a vine branch, its only real use is to bear good fruit. Asking according to God's word and prayer. He will meet you in that place. And knowing and sharing his love with one another is how we know we are his disciples. And the final result of all this is joy. Not just the kind that comes and goes, but lasting, connected, relational, righteous, fulfilled joy. What would it look like if we all abided in this vine? I want to share just a few stories uh, about our, my, my life personally. Uh, my, some of my family's here uh, today, and uh, uh, Asher, my son's there. I don't always point him out in the service or a sermon like this, but uh, Asher actually made a decision a couple weeks ago, and I'm changing up the way I told the story even from the first uh, service because this was true, that church camp was on that weekend, and a game, a soccer game, got rescheduled and he said, Dad, I really want to go to soccer. I, I really want to go to soccer, 
but church camp. Church camp, and I want to invite my friends. And so we kind of went through this thing of how do we get them there? Do, can, we, can we get out of that soccer game? <laughs> Will the coach be mad? <laughs> Disappointing a coach is, is not great, but it's much better than losing out on abiding with the vine. And because of that decision, five more kids got to go to camp because he and Colby invited their friends. And some awesome fruit came from that. Spiritual friendships were formed and refurnished. And one of those students has been spending the last week just posting Bible verses on her social media. If we were to grow together as people, as a family of people who are abiding in that true vine, then we're going to have to make some pruning decisions sometimes in our lives. We're going to have to make serious decisions about our schedules Ambition and achievement are no replacement for abiding. And I want Asher to be an amazing soccer player. He is already. I want him to have the most opportunities of anybody to play and to do well. But I want for him most to abide in the vine. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't even know where to begin to do this. And this is where Jesus comes in with this word. Ask. Ask me. I'm connected to you and you're connected to me. Just ask. Pray about it. Now, that's, a, now that's, a, that's a phrase we have in our, our church lingo. I'll pray about it. <laughs> but really pray about it. <laughs> really pray. Seek God. Even in this service, as you take communion later, pray about it. Let me share another story. Hannah Rasmussen, who is a member here at Mill City, has joined uh, InterVarsity uh, as a ministry to the students at University of Minnesota. And one of the intentional ministries that she's going to be engaging is the Hospitality Center. The Hospitality Center is a group that welcomes foreign international students. And they, they, are, they have a wonderful slate of opportunities for people on various levels of commitment to just do kind things for these international students, to welcome, even welcome some of these students into our home and show radical hospitality. They report a devastating statistic, I think personally, that 80% of students report never stepping foot inside an American citizen's home. 80%. So 80% of the international students who come to our city don't ever get to really know us. They go home, they said, yeah, I got my education. The students who the Hospitality Center works with just report that these relationships they build with people at the Hospitality Center through their work are some of the most meaningful parts of their study abroad experience here in the Twin Cities. Can we join in doing radical, ordinary hospitality? Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, writes... Radically ordinary hospitality characterized those who don't, uh, is characterized by those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. Let me tell you, if you have an international student come, you're going to hear different worldviews. <laughs> you're going to discuss some things that you, might make you feel uncomfortable. But like Jesus, she writes, the truly hospitable 
aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. Could our vine, the branch that we're a part of, have a global impact? Yes, it absolutely can. And there are many such opportunities. One I think I want to get more involved with is through Hannah and through the Hospitality Center. Showing simple acts of kindness and love is how the source of the vine gets through us, the branches, to the whole world. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so as I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain or abide in his love. Okay, the last thing is that Jesus shows us that abiding him leads to something. It results in incredible joy. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So the other night, this is my last story, the other night some of the staff and others gathered and we were presented with the question, what does a disciple of Jesus look like in 2023? We wrote down some incredible answers. We came up with some great phrases and excellent like biblical, scriptural, you know, what, this disciple looked amazing. I just want to meet this person, <laughs> whoever they were. Um, but we didn't write down one word. And as I thought about it afterward, uh, it was kind of ironic because as we sat there, all of us were having such a good time with one another. We were just like on the verge of bursting out laughing or cracking a joke at, at this very serious conversation. But we were just so enjoying talking about this that we had outbursts of laughter like constantly. And I just thought, that's what a disciple of Jesus looks like in 2023. Someone with joy that cannot be contained. There are times to lament. But the primary disposition of a disciple, Jesus says, is this kind of infectious joy that comes from, being a, from abiding in the vine. The true vine left heaven. The true vine was planted in the earth. The true vine had branches that sprung up. That's us. And he is actively pruning them. His vineyard will bear ever-increasing fruit. Please pray with me. Lord, we are reminded in these texts that we are not human doings, but human beings. Lord, you call us to abide, to live, to exist in you. Lord, help us as we make decisions about money, about schedules, about time that we will spend. Lord, may our time be tithed to you just as much as our money. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to practice gratitude that we might show joy every day, that we might abide in you through the act of saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, may we also actively participate in the rest that you have for us through serving your body, whether it is outside the church, in outreach, or inside the church, through in-reach, that we might serve you, Lord, with a joyful and grateful heart coming from the power and strength that only you can provide. Lord, 
our church is growing. This place is more full with people even six months ago. Lord, help us to navigate this. Help us to cut out things that aren't useful. Perhaps, Lord, with your great pruning shears, attack our schedules. Challenge us, Lord, and grow us through this process, not just numerically, but spiritually. Lord, you have promised good things to those who love you, good things to those who follow you. And so, Lord, in your name, I ask and I pray good things, good fruit, be born in our presence here today, this week, this month, and this year. We pray that you would shape our life together here as a family, as a spiritual family, God. As youth ministry happens, children's ministry happens, as senior ministry happens, pastoral care, feeding, and all the rest, Lord. May we experience your growth. Help us to respond faithfully. And in your name we pray. Amen.